I think you can learn a lot virtually. So you have a you can basically like map out a landscape of a space you're interested in, which in the past was hard to do, mm. right? Yeah. So you you can basically like spend a bunch of time like just learning yeah. and understanding the language and who are the players, right? You can do that remotely, um, and then you need to essentially provide some value in some way. Mm. Um, and then you know I do believe there's nothing to be human interaction. My name is Stuart Alsop, and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with and manage the stress that is inherent in creative work. What I've realized over the past 10 years of my research is that anybody who is creating something of value that is significantly different from what has come before is considered crazy. Most of us have a fear, an ingrained fear of going crazy. Uh, so what I'm saying is grab onto that fear, realize that it's there and just go with it because the problems we're going to be facing over the next 20 years require crazy people in order to solve them. So welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest here is Nate Bossard, uh, and I'll let him introduce himself. Yeah, my name is Nate Bossard, um, entrepreneur, investor, uh, co-creator, co-founder of, of Tonal most recently, and I've spent a bunch of time at uh, various consumer brands and kind of also kind of on the investing side. And then um, also uh, have been kind of like indoctrinated into a bunch of family business stuff that I've been involved in since I was a little kid. So that's my high level, but I don't itself identify by the work I do. Uh -huh. Cool. <laughs> I, that's what I'm currently doing let's, professionally. Let's let's get into identification. What do yeah. you identify as? Uh, identify myself as a father, uh, a person who optimizes for um, experiences with people I care about in meaningful places and environments. And uh, what has been the most interesting, meaningful experience you've had recently? Uh, most meaningful experience I've had. I've been um just I, i've actually been most inspired by like various what i would call like simply like cool hospitality experiences um where i'm able to kind of decompress and disconnect and then some, you know i have three kids and been married for 10 years and so me and my wife my wife and i are always attempting to try to disconnect and reconnect and, and go to cool beautiful places for long weekends and mm -hmm. kind of come back refreshed which usually like that those long weekends usually you know, buy me several months of equilibrium, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I just took a trip. I just got a motorcycle and I drove it into Mendocino Forest and like all through those dirt roads. And it's exactly like you're saying, there's a, there's like this, it's like recharging your batteries basically. Um, and something interesting, I was actually tracking my sleep and my sleep during, when I'm outside in nature is like crazy deep, uh, deep states of REM and stuff like that. Oh, there's tons of studies. I think that, that, um, being outside helps with all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm most inspired when I'm around. I like hanging out with my friends, but also I like to be with my friends with nobody else around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In like semi-remote locations, I guess would be my be the the broader way of saying it. But yeah. Very cool. And so let's talk a little bit about uh, about Tonal and and what is Tonal? Tonal is a digital strength machine with built-in personal training, uh, powered by artificial intelligence that creates a uh, uh, kind of video guided experience completely personalized to you in the comfort of your own home uh, primarily today focused on strength training uh, and we basically replace the entire gym there's no 
kind of body part that you are not able to target and 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 exercise. Interesting. And are you into exercise yourself? Uh, I've been incredibly active my entire life, but I have also equally been allergic to the gym. Huh. So I prior to Tonal had been optimizing for more outdoor activities as my main fitness routine and uh, have also dabbled in personal training, just like single sessions. Um, but this was a great convergence because I think it's pretty clear that strength training is the most foundational thing you can do to get better at even running. Mm. Like to be a better runner, you should strength train. Mm. My cousin, um, Emma Coburn, who's an Olympic medalist, uh, she, I think, spends more time strength training in the gym huh. than running on the track. Yeah. yeah, and she has a tonal and loves it. <laughs> and that's something interesting I've, I've been learning recently as well uh, is that I've been, I did yoga for like 14 years. And there is... That's strength tra- training. There is strength is, training. I mean, that is strength yeah. training. But there is a really, really big onus put on flexibility as well. Like it's flexibility first for most classes, uh, which is interesting because a lot of people in yoga classes are probably fit under this diagnosis of hypermobile, which means their joints can stretch farther than is healthy for them, and they have no strength in those end range of motions. Uh, and so it's really interesting because uh, as a, most of the people in a yoga room are hypermobile, most of the teachers are hypermobile, and so they're teaching people how to become hypermobile, basically. Right. But what's, what's now in the world of yoga, are now, they're now considering, is more strength training, basically, to kind of give, you should be in slower or smaller ranges of motion and build strength in, in those smaller right. ranges of motion. I kind of think about, um, there's kind of like, there's like the mind, body, and soul. And some exercises are mind and body, some exercises are body and soul, and it's very hard to get mind, body, and soul in a single activity. Um, And uh, I've found that that's kind of what tonal solves, because there's a lot of education that is um, kind of organically bestowed upon you as as you're going through kind of this physiological exercise experience, because there's so much nuance and detail and form and technique and pace and programming. And and so... um, it's definitely not something you tune out. Mm-hmm. If you were to, I think, uh, go running, it's soul and body, but your mind wanders, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. then I think that that could be, and don't get me wrong, I think the, those sports are super important too. Huh. But I think what Tonal is doing is kind of all three, which is cool. That's very cool. How did, is it personalized? Is it a one-on-one or? Uh, right now, uh, the experience is, is like this. You, you, you get it installed professionally into your home. You create an account. Um, we ask you your, you know, your age, your, your height, your weight. We then ask you what your fitness goals are. Those goals that you provide to us then inform the programming that we provide you. Uh, and then the last piece is you go through a kind of automated but video guided strength test mm-hmm. where tonal essentially is assessing how strong you are. And once you do essentially four of these foundational moves, you never have to pick your weight again will automatically adjust the weight for you depending on the move you're doing and in that movement it will assess your quality and decide if you can do more or should do less mm-hmm. so we kind of we kind of personalize you in um, programming we personalize you in uh, kind of physical ability from a kind of pure resistance standpoint um, and we personalize uh, your pace mm-hmm. so the hardware really controls what happens on the screen. It's this closed loop system. So what you do on the hardware will then trigger what happens on the video. So, and, oh, interesting. And so the video is not a set of instructors. It's, it is, okay. it's, it's, you can, there are, we have eight of the best, you know, San Francisco personal trainers, they all have different 
styles and techniques and bedside manners and approaches and philosophies. And um, so it's human and it feel it, it is one to one, but the way the video kind of like adapts and responds is really based on what you're doing. Whoa. Uh-huh. If that makes sense. That does. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. And so but you feel like you're interacting with a coach, which you are. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. It's really, I, I mean, I, I, it's one of the first true like visceral applied consumer AI experiences, I think, uh-huh. honestly, where it's like tangible. It's not where it's just like you're being routed on the road better or your voicemails are being transcribed. Mm-hmm. You're seeing this real personalized, responsive, adaptive experience based on like the inputs that you just provided. Mm, that's really interesting. And so the question I have, I've been really interested in the intersection between virtual reality and exercise and fitness mm-hmm. and where that's going. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have a plan for that? No, not right no. now. Yeah, no. Is it too far? Um, I think when virtuality or AR can exist where it's completely automated and there's no distraction or friction, then maybe, but I think we're far away. way far away from that. Uh-huh. I, th- I think our goal is to... Um, automate as much of the strength training experience as possible when you think about it like strength training is is incredibly complex Mm -hmm. compared to like cardio Mm. which is just like very binary it's like you're running there's a map and then Uh there's speed (laughs) yeah and software and cardio have have been integrated for a long time and strength training has been just um, metal yeah there's no software Mm. Um, and the reason for that is it's incredibly complex there's been a confluence of technologies that have been kind of recently kind of call it commoditized mm. that people then can take and apply to what we've done uh but it's also so multi-dimensional because you're talking about total body physiology and running is running is running but w- when you're strength training you can strength train to gain weight or lose weight mm. interesting right it requires a lot of kind of expertise and programming uh. to know what to do in what order how much how many reps from day to day over time so it's just that's just, it's just way more complicated and also, is there an element of uh, slow twitch muscles versus fast twitch muscles? Are you familiar with that that distinction? Endurance muscles versus uh, versus uh, I forget the word, but immediate. So, so my understanding is that we have um, endurance muscles, which are the ones that we rely on to stand up, sit up. So sure. as we're sitting here, they're posture, the ones, yeah, postural muscles and stuff like that. And then we have fast twitch muscles, are the which are the ones that are responsible that you might be training with a bicep curl right. or something. I mean, like you that. can you can um, we so we have different programs uh-huh. uh, that are based on different goals. We've got um, kind of you know get lean uh-huh. programs. We've got build muscle programs. We've got uh, weight loss programs. We got programs specifically to make you a better runner. We've got programs that are there to help you kind of perform more explosively. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We've got entry level programs. We've got expert programs. Um, and by programs, I mean not just one-off workouts. I'm talking about like these multi-week, mm. three or four days a week for four to six weeks, mm. you know, different exercises every day. So you pick a program for like a month or, you know, a month and a half, you don't have to think. Like it's already decided for you. And are you guys measuring people's progress? I mean, of course you are. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I mean, we have this mobile app and it's, it's pretty cool. Like, again, like strength training, like I work out today, strength training has never been... Mo- uh, automated like from the data collection side um, so like my workout today I can look at it and I can double click you know on each move so basically you know I was under tension you know eight minutes and 40 seconds workout was 42 minutes I hit all my reps and then I can I lifted you know about 13,000 pounds and I can go to a move wow. and see how my I'm trending at a movement level uh. 
and it's showing me all the reps I did. And right here in green, you can see where it increased the weight for me. So I, you can see it down to a movement level, uh, how you're progressing. Well. And you don't have to think, it just like shows up. It's, mm. it's cool. Mm. And then, you know, you've got the vanity metric, which I'm targeting, you know, a million pounds lifted. I'm like almost there. So it's just, it's counting and tracking everything. You can see like how much, how much you've lifted uh. since, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't mean anything, but it's just cool. Yeah, interesting. It's just, it's just, so, yeah. it's just a number that always goes up, Yeah, which is cool. <laughs> Um, and so this is really interesting because I've thought for the last couple of years about how to establish my relationship and one of my establish my relationship with technology. And one of my re previous guests uh, was somebody from the Long Now Foundation, Nicholas uh, Breizowitz, and we, were, we talked about a book which is all about tech lash. And we came to the conclusion that essentially each person has to establish a, what a healthy relationship with technology mm -hmm. looks like. And one of my important things is having a technology that enhances my life. And, and and this seems to be very like that. Then other technology I've used is Duolingo, which which kind of yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, I mean, I think just like anything, there's good and bad. And some technology I think is making us less intelligent, and other technology is making us healthier. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't think you can just I I think that you can't just like bucket tech into like this monolithic thing. Yeah, there's so much nuances when you think about like technology. It's eventually applied to everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like real like. Really, really. So I don't know. Like I try not to get into those debates, but I think like you know, social media. I'm not going to get into too much, but there's an argument to be made that we've become less connected. And there's you can interview a million people that are much more suited to like articulate that better than me. But I think there's also a huge kind of class of companies that are making people healthier and, and making it more convenient to work out and motivating them. You know, you need kind of three key things to be fit. And I think technology can support most of these. You need the functional thing, mm -hmm. whether that's shoes to run in or a, a strength training device or a whatever. Uh. You need um, guidance, kind of tell me what how I should do this. Mm. You know, so education, and you need motivation, and that can come in the form of music, f metrics, and feedback, community, mm. right? And I think when you can close that loop really tightly. Uh, you can make it really easy for people to stay consistent. Mm. This guidance piece, I want to, I'm interested in this because I have guided people in exercise and I've been guided many times in exercise, usually in a yoga class, uh, many other places, dance classes, weight training, all these different things, uh, martial arts. Uh, and the question that comes to my mind is, as an individual, how important it is to pay attention to my body and what the signs that it's telling me as opposed to somebody else's body or somebody else's thought. And this brings a new layer into it, which is the computer is now telling me, which may actually have very good information. Yeah. Um, what do you think about this? Well, I think as it relates to tonal, like uh, the math has no empathy. <laughs> and and we actually know how strong you are. Uh -huh. And what we have found is that the weights that are suggested for you, and you can always override them, right? You're always in control, yeah, yeah. Um, are much higher than you would have ever picked, but you can always do it. Interesting. You can uh -huh. always get it done like, you know, the other day it it hit me with like 98 because it just will change yeah and i'm like at like a 98 pound goblet squat you know and i'm like oh my god i don't know and i'm like i try it and i'm like i just got it done and i you know and i didn't hurt myself and yeah. so uh, the math is just yeah. like you know your body can do this based on <laughs> what you're doing yeah and so i think that there's like a there's a delight to like show you how strong you really are yeah uh-huh 
and that's the whole thing about building resistance is and, and, and mentally as well and becoming anti-fragile is that essentially you our egos our mind doesn't really know our limits so that's right that's, we must actually like come close to our limit and that's our ego and our mind is probably not going to want to do that as well that's right well and i think egos i don't think we can pretend like ego is not involved in everything we do yeah but um you know we have this like phrase that we that we really champion called be your strongest huh. and it's that's all about relative to you mm. you're not competing with anybody else mm. around you you're just competing with yourself it's not be the strongest it's you know what i mean it's and it's and so it's it's we find that to be this really great like broad phrase that i think people champion and can kind of rally around because uh strength training traditionally has been intimidating for a bunch of different reasons for a lot of different people i don't think um the weight room has traditionally been this welcoming place for most people and so can you kind of democratize destigmatize um it for other people i think that that's that's a cool it's a cool mission so um we really focus on relative not absolute Mm. if that makes sense totally it does and does that also seep into the company you guys are building as well yeah because you know it's been our goal to uh expose more people to strength training who otherwise would not have done it Mm. for without all the reasons i just listed and i think that we have uh you know opened an avenue uh for some people to who have never you know considered strength training to now do it Mm. which has been cool and can you talk more about who who's um, who's who who you're working with on this and, and what do you mean like your your co-founders and stuff like that? Oh well, the all respect and kind of credit goes to Ali Oradi, who essentially has you know one of the more authentic kind of founder stories that's oh. ever ever that I've ever heard. Um, he was very technical, very successful uh, throughout his career and life, but uh, struggled with his weight hmm. from childhood, and one day he just had enough, you know, he had diabetes and sleep apnea and was not feeling um, happy and he quit his job and lost 70 pounds and through that weight loss journey, uh, as any electrical engineer would, they would reinvent resistance along, <laughs> along the way and, and that's what he did and, you know, he literally had this light bulb moment, but strength training was the thing that helped him, helped him lose all the weight, uh, right? Interesting. Um, and so I met him right at the tail end of that strength training journey uh, and it just was, you know, the, the, the founder company fit and just the authenticity and the trueness of going into something it's not like is is there's there's very much a missionary Mm. culture not a mercenary culture Mm. in our company Mm. like i don't we don't at tonal have to twist ourselves into pretzels to to convince the world that we're doing something good Uh, you know like we are like we are (laughs) sincerely making people healthier it's unequivocal Uh right and so i think that that uh is a is a great you know reason to get out of bed every morning. That's really cool. Yeah. So let's talk about you know you mentioned in the beginning that you don't identify with 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 your job solely. I mean you maybe identify part of it. And to somebody like who says that, I imagine that there are pretty deep reasons that you did choose why why you wanted to work with Tonal. Yeah, or there are some kind of invisible well, threads. Yeah, I mean, I did not. I am not a technologist. I have always been more of a consumer um, brand person, and every job that I've ever had uh, has been a job that I was the customer regardless of if I worked there or not. Uh, on top of the fact that um, I was truly passionate about that thing at that time in my life. Mm. So my first job out of college was at Burton Snowboards. I'm, I'm like a psychotic, you know, obsessive snow sports person. And, you know, from the time I was in high school, I decided I want to work at Burton when I graduated from college. And I literally did everything I could possibly do 
uh, from where I went to college to what I did when I was in college to the people I connected with to make sure that I could get make that a reality, which I did. Um, and so I spent the first you know half of my career kind of in the snow sports, action sports, outdoor industry, mm. where uh, a lot of my hobbies just happened to be things I could also do at work. Mm. Interesting. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And so, and so that was like that's been that was my entire focus um, from day one, and then you know the drop cam and nest. And then GoPro kind of layered into that as well because I, I worked there after North. So I, I went Burton, North Face, GoPro, Dropcam, Nest. I spent two years at Coastal Adventures and then I am at Tonal. So that's like a quick like 20-year summary. Huh. Um, have done a bunch of advising and investing in startups as well. But I've always focused my career around my personal interests. And the kind of the, called the Nest Dropcam era was like when I was having my kids for the first time. And it was all about um, being connected to your house when you're not there. If you're traveling, you can see your kids and your family. And so mm. it still was like related to my passion at the time right mm-hmm. so so to anybody who's listening who wants to really fit their life and align it uh with with what they value yeah can you offer some yeah i mean my career is not like replicatable it's like <laughs> yeah. really weird actually uh-huh. um but i would say that whatever it is you're passionate about be like physically located in the capital of that place mm. yeah like like full stop like if you're not there then it's not going to happen which you need to physically be in the area where that thing is happening. Is and there's no way to replicate it now that we're in this kind of remote first environment for some companies. Maybe and it depends. Uh-huh. There's also like timing yeah. of that industry and how early or where it is and it's in its kind of curve of call it like saturation. Hmm. That matters too. Like timing obviously is is everything as well. But uh, I just have happened to always physically be there. Hmm in the place and then that obviously allowed me to then take advantage of that proximity and you know you know squeeze in there yeah if that makes sense <laughs> well and to my mind it's, it's but i moved here like not for tech i moved here to work for the north face interesting i wasn't here you which know. is also located here they are yeah in the east bay they're in they're okay. in alameda yeah san francisco bay area is also draws a lot of outdoors activity yeah. so that makes sense that, that, that they would be located here and you know mountain hardware is located here mm-hmm. um north face is located here um, there's a few other company, outdoor companies that are here. Interesting. So there, it's definitely, there's stuff going on in that world. And then apparel too, you have Levi's and, mm. um, uh, you know, the old Navy Gap. So there's, there is kind of like an overlap of, in the apparel industry uh, here as well. Uh-huh. I think, I mean, New York dominates that, but mm. San Francisco would be like number two mm. for sure. Interesting. And that goes back to like the gold rush. I mean, Levi's is totally, <laughs> totally, which, you know, Levi's is one of those, um, tra- uh, generational, iconic brands and there's not a lot of them in america uh-huh. you know and so i levi's is, is definitely one of those brands that i revere uh-huh. um and it's hard to kind of i think that that to create a lasting brand is like virtually impossible uh-huh. interesting so i want to go back to this 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 idea of replicating what you're talking about physical sure. presence because uh, it gave me a, an idea that i want to express which is that with social media i think it now is possible to do not the same thing but a similar thing for example um with this podcast, I thought at the beginning that I would have to tap into my network in order to get the right people yeah. and stuff like that. And it's not the case. I haven't I haven't asked. Well, people love to talk about themselves. That's true. That's, that is one <laughs> one important important element. But it's like I can reach out to anybody, and like eighty percent of the time, they're now they're now saying yes, yeah. regardless of what how who connects me and stuff like that. Goes back to the ego thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So I, I think it is. Well, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can learn a lot virtually Mm. 
so you have a you can basically like map out a landscape of a space you're interested in which in the past was hard to do mm. right yeah. so you you can basically like spend a bunch of time like just learning yeah. and understanding the language and who are the players right you can do that remotely um, and then you need to essentially provide some value in some way mm. um, and then you know I do believe there's nothing to be human interaction yeah I don't care what anybody says and so I do think that that is you know again I'll be proven wrong at some point in the future but I do think that is important, but I think you can like, yeah, you can accelerate for sure. Yeah. But then once you've accelerated, there is a point at which you need to develop relationships. How important are relationships to this and how important are skills that you can uh, I think that there's a debate you'll have on both sides, but I think relationships are incredibly important. Yeah. I mean, all of my, you know, relationships have been forged through um, shared experiences and doing things that we're mutually passionate about. Uh, over many years, you know, you can't just like snap your fingers and go to some like tech networking event and think you're going to do anything meaningful. I mean, building a network takes years and years and years and years and years and years and to do it authentically yeah. mm -hmm. uh, in a way that's not transactional. Uh, it's just like it's just like making friends. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't see that as any like, yeah, yeah I don't know. Huh. How um, how do you main, make sure that you're maintaining authenticity in your life? Um, with relationships or just broadly? Broadly in general. You know, I, I have a bunch of interests that I'm personally passionate about that I just continue to pursue. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm a, there's not a lot of people that I know, but I'm like a crazy record collector. I've been collecting like vinyl since I was like 15 and it's literally like the only consumable that I really care about. Like mm -hmm. if my house were to burn down, I wouldn't care mm -hmm. about it. I mean, assuming everybody on my family's safe. Um, or I wouldn't be like, I would care, but I wouldn't like, I'd get over it. Yeah. Um, but if I lost my record collection, that would be catastrophic. Interesting. It took me, you know, 25 years huh. to build. And you grew up in the Midwest, right? I grew up in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which is okay. a pretty small, ah, 50,000 person town on the Mississippi River, huh. bordering Minnesota. And you're, you're, and you're in business with your family now? Uh, I've just, it, my family is incredibly entrepreneurial huh. and uh, I've been involved directly in all of our family businesses since I was capable mm. and my grandfather, you know, would give me wisdom even when I was a little kid, you know, that <laughs> I, he gave me some good life <laughs> advice. He, you know, he told me, I don't know how many, he basically was like, don't ever smoke cigarettes. Um, if you're going to get a tattoo, wait till you're 30. Cause you'll regret every tattoo <laughs> you get until that point. Uh, never invest in a restaurant. And uh, if you're going to go into business with your friends, you have to accept the fact that you may never be friends with them again yeah. at the end of that. That's true. Uh, and so those were things that he told me when I was like 12 that I never forgot. Interesting. No what tattoos. <laughs> well, how old are you now? I'm 40. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Oh. I'm pretty old, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, but uh, family and business, he, he told you not to go into business with friends. A lot of Unless. Uh-huh. Yeah, but okay, but but with family though, does it? Because a lot of people have that same rule, but with family. Yeah, I think that our family has just always been in business, and so it, we've established mm. um, pretty strong structure to uh, stunt any conflict. Mm. Interesting. Can yeah. you go into that? Or? Just structure, yeah. decision making, uh -huh. um, you know, access to capital. Mm. Yeah. You know, it, everything is all about um, preserve. So we, you know, we're a, we're a buy and hold family. Yep. Mm. So, you know, real businesses that make money. 
which is funny because now you're in, in tech, but that's a good thing to go into tech with. Yeah, it's it's a nice kind of dichotomy. Uh-huh. And growing up in the Midwest was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me from just like a grounding standpoint. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so let's talk about creativity. Sure. Um, what is, we don't have to go into definitions, but what are your thoughts on creativity? How has it impacted your life? Uh, I am completely engaged when I'm feeling like I'm doing things that are creative. Huh. So I am much more of the kind of zero to 100 employee hmm. person. Um, I love the, uh, like the development of like the big blue sky and what it could be and architecting things and building things from scratch. That's where I'm completely uh, engaged. You know, I'm not going to be your process mm-hmm. and structure person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to be the kind of creator, um, brand creator. That's kind of where I, that's kind of my superpower. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've come to the realization that that's where I'm most passionate is that early stage. Yeah. Um, and, and had you, you, have you worked at any established companies? Oh yeah. Seen that I've seen it across that? all, I've seen, I've seen, you know, kind of call it like Burton, which was, I, you know, I joined there in 2001 right before snowboarding got into the Olympics. And so like there was like this mainstreamification of the sport, but the, the company had been around since 78. Oh. So it's still been around for a long time, Yeah, right? Like 20 years. Um, but I saw it kind of like hit that next stage. Um, you know, I joined North Face, which is owned by VF Corp, which is, you know, the largest apparel conglomerate that owns a million brands that you would know. Very structured corporate you know, kind of hamster wheel style company, but also a lot of kind of room for creativity, but no founder versus Burton, right? Um, I saw, you know, GoPro at like crazy growth stage, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, which was cool and saw an IPO. And then I went to kind of Dropcam, which was was kind of smaller. And then they got acquired by Nest slash Google. And so I saw that kind of acquisition experience. So I've kind of seen all, I've seen old established companies. I've seen growth stage companies. And then I've been there from zero. Wow as well. So I've kind of seen a broad spectrum. So I've just been reading the book called Loon Shots. Um, okay. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it, but I'm, I don't, I'm not super familiar. Basic thesis is that uh, there are loon shots and these are highly creative and, and, and yeah. um, enterprises that high likelihood of failure. And there are certain people who are really good at that, which you just may, may mentioned, this creativity side yeah. that doesn't get into the structure. And then he separates that between the loon shot creatives, the artists, and the the um, business sales uh, franchise people, the soldiers who yeah. are and and he says the main thing important is that these two need to talk to each other, but the loon shots need to be separate as well. And and so he talks about why organize larger organizations sometimes then lose their ability to create loon shots. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I think that's I think that there's like all these stages in a company's growth, assuming that they continue to kind of like be successful. There's the kind of early stage of the company where you've essentially got jack of all trades mm-hmm. doing a bunch of different things. There's no structure. It's really creative. You're building things are just coming together, like, you know, like getting the thing out the door. Mm-hmm. And then you have that kind of call it, um, growth mm-hmm. period, which requires, you know, instituting a bunch of process and hopefully you've de-risked the business enough at that point to recruit those people who are maybe less entrepreneurial and risk-taking, mm-hmm. uh, where the company is somewhat safe. Then you've got kind of the, the scale, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the that's like where you, and there's usually call it like, I mean, this is just my personal experience, but there's kind of like three stages, like in the simplest terms. It seems like within those stages, there are also there's a, stages. Correct. And then, you know, people scale out and, and scale in, and um, that's not wrong. Yeah. There's no, there's you shouldn't, nobody should be like, ashamed that they're 
best suited for one stage or another stage. Mm-hmm. Like I just think, but having that awareness, awareness. is important. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like where you want to spend your time. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's really interesting. So creativity to you is, and so what is creativity in the business context? I guess we've just been talking about creativity it. in the business context is creating the business, yeah. creating the brand, <laughs> um, designing the product, you know, the first version, like just going from zero to one mm-hmm. is I think the most creative part. Mm-hmm. There is creativity across all stages of the business, but for me, that is like the richest uh-huh. period uh-huh. of the company. And so where everything is just like, where you're like, you're birthing a child, yeah, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Um, uh, except that this is not incubating in a belly. You're there like tweaking it along the way, right? Yeah. Uh, and so that for me personally is the most creative uh, part of it. But again, like, it's it, you can also like come into an old incumbent brand and like re reinvent it, right? And so it, it can exist anywhere. I just think that the culture needs to support it mm. of the business, and mm-hmm. I, I think that that just depends. Mm. Interesting. I think that creativity is this kind of squishy word um, that you know. There's nobody that will say they don't want creativity in their business, but I think <laughs> I also think it's kind of like a frequency that you just need to either you pick it up or you don't. Mm-hmm. And have you ever, because oftentimes this, the creative archetype of a person is very open to new ideas, but oftentimes there's difficulty with that execution of the ideas. Have you ever faced that? Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I have incredible ADD. Um, I, I can execute and get stuff done, but it's, you know, like, I think I'm one of those people that if I'm doing something I don't want to do, yeah, I just like uh, sabotage myself. Yeah. 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 So I, I have to be completely excited and passionate about what I'm doing in that moment. So um, and I think that that's like a spoil of where I'm at in my career, mm. Mm. honestly. Yeah. So it wasn't a, a, a conscious training that you have to train yourself how to do it. It's more of a conscious awareness that- I was like scale and operational person early on in my career. You know what I mean? Like I've just like, uh, I've just like shifted mm-hmm. into where I'm like most, I've always been creative, but I've seen companies where it was all very much more process driven and I've played that game. Yeah. Um, but if you were to ask me where I would want to be and spend my time, Yeah. It's, it's in the creative side. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Can you talk about maybe the stress that's inherent in playing that game and like and like? Yeah, I think that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably not the best person to ask mm-hmm. about that, mm-hmm. just because I have been fortunate enough to like. I have like a stress force field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does and that I don't get that... stressed out? Oh, okay, so that, that doesn't mean that you avoid stressful people but it means that you just don't have it, it nothing will you know i mean not to get like too nihilistic but i've read a bunch of kind of like existence books uh-huh. like you know why do we exist and why is there something rather than nothing and when you start going down that rabbit hole you don't take everything too seriously mm, yeah does, does that make sense <laughs> what i'm saying yeah, so sense, yeah. uh yeah i'm not i think but you know i also think it's like your childhood has a lot to do with it uh-huh did you have a stressful childhood? Or no. Was it, no, right. Uh-huh. No, I had a very kind of boring, happy childhood. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend like I and, had some big struggle in my life. And that's really interesting because I think everybody else who I've um, interviewed about creativity and stress has, we've all come to a conclusion that's not overarching, but we've all come to the conclusion that a lot of people who are creative have a kind of tortured uh, life that led them to this creativity. But then in your case, it's not. No, it's been more just pursuing my passions. Uh-huh. Um, no, I'm not going to pretend like I've had some huge trauma in my life. Uh-huh. Um, knock on wood. But uh, but how you find creativity completely is, is unique to every person. Yeah. And I mean, I was most inspired by skate culture growing up. 
I skateboarded a lot. I was really inspired by hip hop culture. I was like, I was the kid like on Friday nights watching Yo MTV Raps in like 1990 mm. when it was only on one hour a week, like VHS recording it and living in Wisconsin, like obsessed with hip hop culture. You know, so I was really, I was really drawn to like music, art, skate culture, mm. hip hop. You know, my parents had a really cool, like epic record collection. I was exposed to things culturally. We traveled a lot. So I, I was exposed to broader things, even though I lived in a small Midwestern town. Mm. My dad's from Manhattan originally. Mm. So I, I think I was just, was exposed to a bunch of things, um, which was cool. Um, but I'm, I'm just, I just try to stay tuned into what's happening. I'm really just fascinated by subcultures, mm. whether I'm part of them or not. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like going down those rabbit holes and kind of just like learning about what's happening in the world. Yeah. Interesting. Here's a kind of a question from far out of left field, but when was the first time that you encountered the internet? What age? Yeah, I remember exactly when it was. Uh, I, I was turned on to the Grateful Dead uh, when I was maybe in eighth grade. And I, even though I was listening to a lot of hip hop, a lot of like, you know, kind of like, you know, New York City, 90, golden era, 90 to 93. I also was exposed to, my dad was more of like a psych kind of rock guy. He had a bunch of Grateful Dead records that I listened to. And then there were some older friends, brothers that were into the dead. And so, you know, the, the, just the concept of spontaneous creativity and never one show being different, you know, the same as the other. And so I was on a AOL uh, message chat board. My mom had a computer where I would do my, my typing, but I was able to kind of like go through this AOL portal and I was trading Grateful Dead tapes with strangers in like a message board in like maybe like 91, 92. Interesting. Something like that. Wait, you could actually trade media files or were you? No, you would mail people <laughs> tapes. Yeah, you would. You would. Maybe I had five tapes yeah. of Grateful, of Grateful Dead shows that I recorded for my friend's brother. Yeah. And then you would go on a message board and I'd try to like, I'd say like, hey, I've got these tapes. Well, you, and then you've got those and I'll record copies for you and you, and you just mail them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was physically mailing each other tapes to strangers. Interesting. And then, you know, I, having also just been collecting records for a long time, there was, I transitioned to more kind of record collector mm. um, communities. One of the things I think is most de- depressing about Facebook is that it completely killed these verticalized communities. Mm. Like message boards were uh, some of my best memories mm. of interacting with like-minded people that I didn't know. Mm was through message boards, and uh, I feel like that's gone. Mm. Which well, is, now it's there, but it's under the guise of a larger centralized organization. It is, but it, like yeah. you can't have like these verticalized communities, I, I don't think, in the way that Facebook exists. Because it's anonymous? Because they were anonymous? I don't know. They're just not They're not thriving the way they were. I, don't, I can't really, I, you know, I'm sure I could sit down and think about why, <laughs> but it's just one of those things where I've, it has been kind of a, a bummer yeah. for me. I don't that's know. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the part that gets me now is that all these groups, the subcultures are all making a rapid transition to Facebook, and it's all guarded by an algorithm that is motivated mostly by uh, the, the profit and also by what the algorithm thinks that I want, which is often cases not the right thing. I, I think the feed, mm. you know, versus the topic yeah. mm. is maybe one of the reasons why it just hasn't, like, because yeah. you can have a conversation going on forever. Yeah in a message board mm-hmm. and the feed kind of it just it passes you by and so yeah. I just I think there's maybe just like more like product design mm-hmm. reasons yeah. maybe why it didn't yeah. I, I, I'm not sure interesting uh, and so what is your relationship with, like with technology uh, I'm you know surrounded by it but I try to create a balance uh-huh. you know I I use all of the screen time features on on the iPhone, you know, I, I turn it off. I basically block everything after like 7 p.m. I try to like not look at my phone when I'm home with my family. Mm. But I'm on I'm on my computer all the time. Yeah. 
but I also like I want to spend as much time working out as I was mm-hmm. in front of my computer, ideally, yeah. in any given day. Uh-huh. So I I have to do something active every day, uh-huh. out of for just for my mental health, not for like necessarily like to be depressed or not, but I, I get I get I antsy and feel mm-hmm. like I didn't achieve something. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and you, we were talking before we started recording about how nature is a really important part of your life. Yeah. And can you talk more about that? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a pretty rural place in the, you know, you know, kind of in the woods, I guess, um, suburban woods. But uh, my father was a big environmentalist, and uh, we, you know, we would always optimize for the outdoors. And you know, I lived in Vermont for ten years, which is incredibly lo- uh, low population, a lot of outdoor space. Um, and so I just, uh, when I'm in the outdoors, I feel better. Mm. Um, I don't know how, I would never be able to live in New York city mm, yeah. ever. Uh, I was just there last week and I just like, it, I reaffirmed to myself that that would never happen. Uh. Um, I live in Mill Valley and Marin in the Redwoods and it's like, I'm yeah. in literally in two minutes yeah. out my front door. I can be completely by myself yeah. around no people. Mm. And so I like to have that access. Mm. Um, that's cool. I like to run in the woods by myself. Like when I'm like, you know, I probably run like twice a week, two, three, two or three times a week. And, um, I just, I, I get a lot of, that's the, uh, uh, the, 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 the body soul uh-huh. yeah. activity, mm. right? Mm. I don't know. I just, I don't, I, there's a bunch of science. There's just something really special about because we live in such a densely populated, you know, I just like to be, it's nice to have space. Yeah. That's all. And well, I'm sure there's psychological reasons for that. Yeah. I mean, that's what I want to ask you is, can you describe that? that feeling that you get once you get immersed inside of nature? I mean, without getting too trippy, like there's a, there's a <laughs> one, there's a oneness that is real uh-huh. yeah. that you feel like I was just in Big Sur yesterday and I was, you know, I think that the, I'm just continually awestruck by the energy there, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's something incredibly special about that place specifically. Um, and it, it conveys this promise, right? It's like this kind of, I feel like Big Sur is like the essence of California. Mm-hmm. Of like what California is as a concept. Interesting. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know? Well, somebody recently said that LA is the body of California, San Francisco is the mind. Yeah. And then I asked, what, what, where is the soul? Uh, and then I put it as, as Yosemite. Uh, but Big Sur would probably be another one. Oh yeah, I'm sure there, yeah, I mean Yosemite, the tu- the volume of tourism, uh, I'd say, makes that harder. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Big Sur, like most people don't even like know where to go. It's like you're there and you're like, unless you like know how to like go off into these. Like, there's yeah. so many crazy back roads. Like, the back road yeah. scene in Big Sur is just like, oh my god, it's unbelievable. Oh. There's a couple of different back roads that you can go on. They're not private, but they're not obvious. <laughs> that you know take you up above the one for 15 miles. Okay. You know, and there's maybe 10 houses. I got to ask you more of that maybe when we're not. Yeah, but I just, I'm just, I don't know. I just have this, like, as somebody who didn't grow up here, but has been, you know, awestruck by the beauty of Northern California and, and you know, Big Sur just like represents this, like this concept of like optimism and promise and anything's possible. Mm-hmm. It, it, like in a manifested physical space. Interesting. Like spiritually, like yeah. though, not like from a business standpoint. Yeah. Well, and this, this is interesting because there's been this theory that I've been hearing from various places. That but I get that in being in the mountains too, but uh, I just, Big Sur is there's something unique, special. yeah. Well, it's something about the ocean and that kind of contained thing, but it's the Pacific Ocean too. It's like the Atlantic seems, you know, when you look out across the Atlantic, you know that the Britain's over there. It's not too far, yeah. but the Pacific, it's like... Well, it's also just how the, the, the these you have these dramatic kind of cliffs and hills just going just straight. There's, yeah, yeah there's... Mm-hmm. 
there's a lot to be, I, you know, every time I'm there, I'm like, I need to spend more time here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, yeah, there's this theory about essentially the role, the, tr- the transition of civilization. We've kind of touched mm-hmm. on it with the gold rush and stuff like that, but how we started with China. And I was just reading Loon Shots yeah. yesterday about how technology showed up in China a thousand years before it showed up in the West. Uh, and then, you know, you get India, you get the Middle East, and then Europe, mm-hmm. and then you, from Europe it goes to England, and then from England yeah. it goes to the, to the United States. But then within the United States it goes uh, west eventually, and then you get st- first starting with the gold rush here, and, now, and then, you know, technology in the 1950s, 1960s. It's so. that optimism, uh-huh. honestly. Yeah. I really think it is. Like, and, you know, you can debate this all the cows come home and say it's this reason or that reason, but I think there's just, mm-hmm. like, the spirit of California. Mm-hmm. That goes back to hundreds of years. Yeah, interesting. You know, and yes, like you've got the, uh, you know, Fairchild Semiconductor story, but like, why were they there? It's just, there's just like, I don't know, like, what percentage of people actually were born here? I mean, is this everybody's not from here? You're from yeah, here. I'm from here. Right, yeah. but it's, you're, you're unique, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not very common to meet other people who are from here. But the gold rush, I think, is a great kind of symbol of like the continually, it's trying to reinvent itself. I think that San Francisco's at risk of, just you know, eating itself alive. Well, um, that's the end of this theory, which is that I, which where I think it's going. So now there's a transition back to China, where China is now getting that the the, the where the next kind of global thing is going to happen in China. But it's not that simple because it's also being decentralized. It's state created mostly, though, right? Like a lot, most uh, entrepreneurship is. The, the, the government has a big hook into every business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. I'm so not, it's a little different. So who, it's hard to say if it's like an apples to apples comparison. Yeah, no. And, but that's what I think is it's a whole nother. We're entering a whole nother transition into a, a kind of where the principles change. Essentially. Totally. Yeah. I've, I would say that there is, without making broad sweeping generalizations, I've heard that there's less creativity. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well. From other people uh, in, in kind of the entrepreneurial culture there. Yeah. And I would love to. I would love to interview people in China about creativity. That yeah. Would be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, well, in, into that theme. And right? I've heard that it's not. I'm not stating like that as a fact. But. And and so now what I see happening is there is just like in every other kind of de- developing country that becomes developed, there is a subculture of hippies. Uh, I'd say that in quote marks uh, where which are then create that next creative thing, and I think that's going to happen in China as well. It'd be interesting. That would be. A, I'd be fascinated to know what that subculture is. Mm-hmm. I've met a few of them in my travels. Uh, they, they, you'll find this random Chinese backpacker in a, in a hostel mm-hmm. and they'll just be super creative. I remember meeting one in India uh, who was who was like, who had been in the protest in Hong Kong and then had to leave because mm. he was being followed by the Chinese government and like, you know, creating art and doing these. Like, so it, it doesn't seem to be fully embraced yet. No, it doesn't. And it, but I, and I wonder whether the technology that you're talking about or that I was thinking about, which is essentially this technology that China is now creating, which I just read that, that they're, they're actually innovating in authoritarian technology and that other countries are now buying their authoritarian technology that hmm. they've been creating. So you have like, I forget which country, Ecuador, it was called Ecuador, is actually buying Chinese-made authoritarian uh, technology. For what purpose? For censorship for... Oh, 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 yeah. uh, censor tech. Yeah. Uh-huh. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I believe it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think, it, you know, that's, yeah. That's creative, though. I mean. It, yeah, I guess it in its own way, right? Yeah. It's it's like oppre- it's, it's a it's it's creative it. oppression. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> creative yeah. new ways to oppress people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's innovation everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm you know I'm just most inspired by my hobbies. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like that's where I draw most of my inspiration. I mean. 
I'm I'm always just looking for the new thing that I find cool and tangible. I think I think around here like a lot of people will go through like a little bit of a crisis mm-hmm. where maybe they've been successful but from a business standpoint, but they mm-hmm. quickly realize that everything that they've ever built is completely disposable and commoditized and has virtually no staying power. Yeah. Like most people, whatever they work on in software is gone in five years, mm-hmm. no matter how successful it was at the time. And so when you when you kind of step back and you're like, what? And then to build, like I was saying, like to build like a, a Levi's, like a hundred year brand is so hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. hard. Point zero zero this is so, oh my God. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what has staying power? It's mostly the arts, right? Uh, Music, books, movies, uh, uh, music, mm. architecture. Mm. Interesting, yeah. Like what, like, what can you create that you know will just not get run over by something else? Mm. And I think that's also another point, which is that not only the things that they're creating, but also success itself is, a mean, is not a meaningless, but it is a, it is a fleeting thing where once you get there, then you, you want to be something else as well. So it's like it doesn't fill that hole that it was originally... Yeah, and like, you know, you can you can draw inspiration from mentoring people and and helping people and there's a million ways to do it, but I think I'm I'm kind of drawn to like and there's a ton of ego in that. Mm-hmm. Like trying to like oh, like even to say you should just to like have a legacy, like yeah, why why yeah. like that's all ego. But it'd be nice to like I guess like for me what would be, you know, really fun like next thing to work on would be some sort of like platform to facilitate meaningful experiences for people mm. in a in a way that's slightly different mm-hmm. you do do you think airbnb is doing that at all with their no. experiences no something else oh. no those are that's no yeah i mean like meaningful oh, like transformative uh-huh. yeah like all of my best memories are usually um centered in some sort of dramatic location mm-hmm. or place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know well, centered around some sort of shared experience that I've had with other people. This is something that I'm not sure technology would be able to do, would be able to enhance, uh, but maybe I'm wrong. But Because uh, just like you, every really meaningful experience I've had has had an element of randomness to it and an element of unplannedness to it as well. So like, you know, riding m- m- scooters and finding a beach in Thailand and, you know, swimming to a sure. and getting stung by jellyfish on the way like that. But yeah. we were with somebody else. With somebody else, as and well. you made the point to go expose yourself to that. So yeah. to me, that you you were facilitating that. Interesting, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And so you'll have that memory forever. And I think that um, I don't really have anything specific to say, but I, that's just I've been most inspired recently by places I've gone and things I've done mm-hmm. at those places mm-hmm. that have created these like lifelong memories. And you know, how do you? How do you architect that and democratize that for people who maybe don't even know how to access those things? Well, and traditionally, that's been done by tour guides, essentially. Yeah, but I guess like maybe there's like a there's more of like okay, you'd, you'd filter that down to like some sort of like mindedness uh-huh. subculture of people that are looking for some, something specific that's mm-hmm. not just like I want to go to this place and do the thing everybody else does. Instagram's ruined it quite a bit, mm-hmm. like. Because it's turned it into a commodity. Well, have you driven past Bixby Bridge lately? Like onto Big Sur? It's like, uh, it's so crowded. With people just taking, taking Instagram photos. Yeah. I mean, it's like insanity. Interesting. Yeah. And when you talk to people down, I mean, just using the my more recent example of people down in Big Sur that I've talked to who live there have just told me like, 
Instagram has like ruined that place. Uh, interesting. Well, I haven't been back there. But you, when you think about it, right? And there's been articles about how, about how these kind of like remote weird locations that normally have been off the beaten path have just been like overrun with people take, trying to get well, the selfie. Well, that's uh, something I hadn't thought of, but it's probably very likely true. Right? <laughs> yeah. Huh. There's an Instagram account that I've just was like, have been so um, entertained by called Insta Repeat. Uh-huh. And it's people taking the same photo in, in the same location, <laughs> but like, 50 people uh-huh. all at the same place taking the same photo. <laughs> that's crazy. Man, that's so weird. It's And this is something that it's this melding, what I was talking about in terms of this next step we're taking in terms of human civilization, which is that the online and offline worlds is a feedback loop that's going back and forth. So it's like you create this Instagram account, which a whole bunch of people are now going to in real life and same thing with Pokemon Go where it's like yeah. they're they're merging. What is the end game for that merging? Well, what are those people seeking? They're seeking honestly like connectedness and mm-hmm. feedback Interesting. from other humans. Yeah. Whether it's in the way of like a digital like, but like the dopamine hit is still a fundamental like Pavlovian community. Mm-hmm. That was... Uh, you're seeking, you're yeah. seeking mm-hmm. something from other people and now it's just delivered to you digitally. Whoa. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I don't think we can even like when you think about like human interaction, it was pretty much the same up until about two thousand eight, and like how people communicated, how people dated, Mm -hmm. how people talked to each other, conversations, and in the last ten years, the way humans interact Mm -hmm. has completely changed. Like it's been the most compressed like shift in human relationships and interactions. Mm And it's hard to say where that will go, but when you think about it at a macro level, like we've, mm. you know, even you would talk to somebody on the phone mm. 10 years ago. It just doesn't exist that much anymore. Not really. Yeah. I still like to talk to people on the phone, but uh, I'm an elder millennial. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. All right. Well, I think we're coming to the end. Cool. Uh, um, how it was kind of random. We were just kind of moving around there. What's that? It was a random conversation, <laughs> but hopefully that was what you're looking for. No, that's I'm I'm all about that. Yeah, I, I, that's what, part of the reason I do this is because I I like to get all these things I'm thinking about like they're not doing any use in my head. Sure. To block against writing, so I want to bring other people in to kind of like bring ideas, and that's I love getting the random stuff out there. Yeah, hopefully totally. My listeners are also into it. But. Cool. How can people find out more about what you're doing? Natalia, um, your life? you know, I'm just Nate Bossard across most social media. It's just mm-hmm. my name. And uh, I don't tweet a ton, um, but if anybody's working on anything cool that they think that I could be helpful at or want to brainstorm, I just, I love that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm around. In terms of investments, what kind of companies do you invest in? Um, I have to be, I have to be um, the customer uh, yeah. in some way. Mm-hmm. I have to have, I, I, I need to like have a personal connection to it in some way. Mm-hmm. And that, but that can be. That's still very broad, yeah. but I just it has to be something that I can like. It's not like oh, this market's cool, and therefore that's just not where I personally invest. That's a great thesis. Has anybody? Is it, are there any like institutional VCs with the same thesis? Oh, I don't know. I'd say that that's probably a terrible institutional VC. <laughs> Most VCs, yeah. Well, I think as long as you can stay connected to like normal people, it's probably a good thesis. But um, uh, I don't, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. As a VC, I think yeah, you, yeah. as you yeah. start to you know yeah. you get into like you know. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that that's uh, I there's a lot of investors out there these days. Yeah, <laughs> feels like there's more investors than entrepreneurs. Yeah, 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 definitely right now. I wonder what will happen in the next couple of years. Do you think the reason why most people are IPOing right now is because they're worried about a downturn? Um, 
I think it's no, because most of these companies were private so long. I think this would have happened either way. Okay. I mean, think about how long these companies have been private. I mean, they've all been private for, you know, eight years or nine years, 10 years in some cases. I mean, when did Uber incorporate? 2010. Same, you know, Lyft, mm-hmm. probably even earlier, Airbnb, right around the same time. Slack, maybe when were they, they were some other company before they, quick, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I think that this is just part of the natural cycle. I think what, what's happening is we're coming out of that, that, that 2008, 2012 mm-hmm. boom right. of companies, yeah. mm-hmm. right? There was like, that was a real, that was like the platform shift, mm-hmm. that four year period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we're basically seeing kind of the maturity of that right now. Mm-hmm. I, so so it, I think it's just a coincidence. Is the next platform being done right now? I think the next platform, um, I think we're in a lull Uh for platforms, but I think that, I mean, selfishly um, applied personalization Uh is like real personalization of experiences, whether that's something like tonal or, you know, automating things that you do repeatedly. But I I don't, I think we're still early days there. Uh But I, you know, I I also think that... um, the internet has allowed you know companies to be created and connect with customers a lot easier, but then you're still dependent like for sixty percent of your of your sales spend on Facebook and Google. So that's mm-hmm. also I think a problem. So mm-hmm. I I don't know what platform we're in right now. I think that I think a lot of people are sitting back and waiting for like one of the big players to, to facilitate some new ecosystem. Um, but you know you asked me about AR and VR. I think that like for example until like that's just going to have to be like an incumbent investing in some mm-hmm. ground shift Interesting. technology that then people can then build on top of. Uh, but, um, you know, what do I know? Well, and I think I think biotech also. I think things outside of pure computing, and well, I mean, there is an element of that, but outside of this kind of framework we've been stuck in for the last 10 years, which is social networks and kind of like uh, AI applied to that, I think it's going to be a lot of essentially hard sciences getting getting that are coming to fruition. I am by no means a biotech expert. I've made one biotech investment, but I think that there is what you'll see is from kind of like the, the outer edges of things, um, people taking the theory of CRISPR, mm. um, but using it internally. So you can essentially leverage more internal things in your body versus injecting something foreign uh, to edit. So that's CRISPR is like injecting a foreign thing into, yeah. uh-huh. right? I mean, I am not technical, but like I think what you'll see more is more innovation around kind of editing within the confines of what you have inside of you. Oh, very interesting. Um, and there's a couple of cool companies doing that. Um, Can you talk about them? I, there's a company called Shape Therapeutics uh-huh. that I'm an investor in that uh, is still pseudo stealth, but the the team kind of came out of George Church's lab, uh-huh. um, and so they're. Uh, uh, this guy Prashat and this guy Francois, they're based up in Seattle. They're doing some really interesting stuff um, around kind of CRISPR-inspired interesting. Uh, mm. disease targeting. Mm. Mm. That's so cool. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, for definitely. Show. Cool. Really it's cool. great to meet you. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Thanks for tuning into the show. If you liked it, please go ahead and find us on iTunes or Spotify and hit the subscribe button. I'll publish each episode by Monday morning before your commute, so make sure to check in then. And this is a reminder to just own your crazy because the challenges that this world will be facing over the next 100 years will require us to think way outside the box. As Hunter S. Thompson said, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro.
Thanks. Have a great day.